thank you for joining me today. The study of our broadcast is going to be the doctrine of the Trinity. And the Trinity is a subject that has brought about much debate within the body of Christ. And I believe one of the biggest reasons for that is because there's a lack of understanding regarding this subject. And so my goal today is to look to the Word of God to provide us with answers and understanding on this subject regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we know that if we dig deep and we're diligent in studying the scriptures, we can find the answers to these questions. As always, I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to have your Bible next to you so that you can follow along in the scriptures that I'm reading. And my prayer today is that you'll leave this broadcast with a better understanding of what the Trinity is according to God's word. The Bible is very clear. Despite what many people believe, and I, I, I'm sure that there will be some watching me today that would disagree, and, and that is usually the case with just about everything, and that's fine. You're welcome to take the time yourself to study and to be diligent in studying the Word of God. But the Bible is very clear that there are three separate and distinct persons in the Godhead. God's plan is revealed in three distinct parts being carried out by these three persons. Let's talk about those three persons. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Father? The Father holds the headship in the plan of creation and redemption of all things. Let's start. In 1 Chronicles in chapter 29, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. So God the Father is the head of all things, the head of all creation. And we see that clearly. But let's go to another scripture found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, verse 3 says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, by reading that verse, I'm sure that that you know we could launch into a whole other subject about headship within marriage. And the way that God has ordained the roles of men and women and wives and husbands, though that's not the subject of our study today. But you see clearly in that verse, the head of Christ is God. So even right off the bat, as we've barely begun this study, you already see that there is Christ is seen as someone and then God is seen as the head of him. 
Christ and man are not the same. Man and woman are not the same. They're distinct. So when you see the head of man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God, these are distinctions within beings. They are not all the same. So the father, number one, is the head. Number two, the son. The son carries out the representative duties of God's plan. God the Father creates and redeems by Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In him and through faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And I love how Paul says that, that we are now free to approach God with confidence. Why are we able to approach God now? Because Christ came as a bridge from us to God, from man to God. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a, a, a quite a separation between man and God. God was, was seen as, as far away. He wasn't seen as, as someone close. And so people, you know, the, the way that worship was done was very different than it is today. But now through Christ, we have access to the Father. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is, this is speaking of Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. So there it is talking about the head. So what, do we, what did we read earlier? That Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. And so we see here, even taking it further, that Christ is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen to verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
and to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel and you could preach about a hundred sermons based on that on those scriptures alone but you see the duties of christ on this earth to be the head of the church to reconcile us to god that by the shed blood of christ we are now reconciled through faith this is the entire plan of salvation that christ came and he died and he shed his blood and he took on his back the sins of all humanity because we could not possibly uphold the law on our own and so christ stood in our place and became redemption for our sins and through him we we are now redeemed and we now have access to God the Father through God the Son. One more regarding Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Sun, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven those are beautiful words and what does it sound could god sit next to himself no he couldn't so there is a distinct being in which the son is now sitting at the right hand of the father in heaven waiting until the father gives him the green light to come and in in the clouds and collect his church during the rapture and so you see something very clearly the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Majesty is capitalized to represent God. So God's not sitting next to himself. No, the son is sitting next to the father. So we have the father, we have the son, and then we have the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is why I encourage you to take notes. There is a lot of, this is maybe the most scripture. Um, I don't know if it's the probably equal or the most of a lot of the studies that I do, because in these kinds of subjects, you must stick to the scripture and understand what it has to say. You know, a great evangelist that, that I admire a lot says this. He says, when you're, when you're studying, when you're preaching, Start in the Bible, stay in the Bible, finish in the Bible. And that, that's what we're doing here today. So even if you disagree, as I said before, you're going to have to take it up with scripture. You're going to have to go and, and do a study for yourself if you feel that, that I'm not expressing the things correctly. And that's completely your right. Um, but unfortunately, what we often find is people just go and they'll attack ministers and they'll say they're wrong and they said this out of context, but they don't actually provide an alternative. They just attack. Most likely because there isn't an alternative. They just don't agree. And so a lot of times if you've been raised a certain way and you've been raised to believe something and then you're presented with something different, it's like it's a little bit difficult sometimes to accept. 
But I think the most important thing, and I always say this, if you followed me for any amount of time, you know how, how seriously I take this, how I don't want to be in error when I'm teaching the word of God. And so if there is something that I'm in error in, I want to correct it immediately and get it right. I'd rather get things right than try to always be right. If you have to admit that you've got something wrong, there's no problem in that because we're always learning. We, we're not, no, one's, no one knows everything. Then we would be God if we knew everything. But we're thankful that God gave us his word. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16. And I will, actually, let's go to 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I, you know, just in the way, I have to pause there, just in the way that Jesus speaks, he's not speaking of like one, you know, there's, there's a belief in terms of the Trinity, in terms of the Godhead, in which God, um, there's not three distinct persons. He kind of just manifests himself in different forms at different times. And the trouble that I have with that line of thinking is that the way that Jesus speaks is he is speaking completely distinct that he is is one God is another and the Holy Spirit is another it's not that that God is just like a a, a manifestation once in a while he's the son another time he's the spirit and another time he's the father when Jesus speaks when I read the scripture in John 14 he's speaking very clearly of, of distinction John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. And again, this is spirit with a capital S, and it's personified as him. It's not, sorry ladies, it's not a woman. Uh, it's not a, um, an ethereal thing without gender. It is a him. It is a person. The world cannot accept him because it neither no sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Go over to verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, again, capitalized. He's a person, that's his name. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will, will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is making it very clear. I'm going to go, but I am going to, God is sending someone else, the Holy Spirit, to live in you. So the Holy Spirit, executes the plan under the direction of the father and the son so the father is the head the son carries out the representative duties and the holy spirit executes the plan one more scripture in john 16 john 16 and verse 13 but when he again he personified as a male when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So there is truth and wisdom that comes with the Holy Spirit. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. 
That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the spirit executes the plan. So now I want to talk to you about some unscriptural beliefs regarding the Trinity, because I'm, I'm reading you. This was, this was like 90% scripture in explaining the, the three distinct persons of the Trinity and their function. Here are some unscriptural beliefs about the Trinity that the terms father, son, and Holy ghost or Holy spirit refer to three manifestations of one person or one being, as I mentioned before that, that yes, there are three parts, but it's basically the same, uh, person just manifesting himself in a different way. So they're not distinct. Here's another unscriptural belief that the father is the only one who is divine and Jesus and the Holy spirit are created beings. But we know, and as I read you uh, in, in those scriptures before, is that everything was created through Christ, not that Christ was created. And you can get into a lot of um, false beliefs. I'm going to put it to you that way. Um, and you can get into a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different religions that hold a belief that Jesus is a created being like angels. But the Bible says that he is superior to the angels. He is above the angels. So he's not a created being. And that's something that's very important for us to understand. Turn to Genesis chapter one, because you know, we, it's also good. I would say to go back to where it all began in Genesis chapter one, when you see the account of creation and look what it says in verse 26, then God said, let us, he didn't say, let me, he said, let us to imply that there is more than one. There is an us let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground let us make man in our image turn to second john chapter three it's a bit of a small book but a powerful one, second John and verse three, sorry, verse three. Great. Listen to this grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and from Jesus Christ, the father's son will be with us in truth and love. Again, there is a father and there is a son. They are not. The, the, the same person and sometimes see because this is this is what happens with that unscriptural belief sometimes God's the son and sometimes God's the father and sometimes God's the Holy Spirit no not according to this it's super clear at least to me from God the father and from Jesus Christ the father's son now here is where it can get confusing because then people pose the question, well, does that mean that you believe in three gods? Because one of the, um, I guess you could say earmarks of Christianity is monotheism, which means the worship of one God. And so there are a lot of people who don't believe in the Trinity as being three distinct persons because they view it as polytheism, which is believing in many gods. 
And that is often, um, that could often be a little bit of the confusion regarding the Trinity. But the Trinity, let me be clear, does not suggest polytheism as if each one is a God unto themselves. Because remember this, in polytheism, in other religions where there are multiple gods, all of them are different in the sense of um, they're, they're, not, they're not of one accord. They each have like, well, you know, the God of this or the God of that, and this God does this and this, this God does that. No, in the Trinity, there is absolute unity. And let me, let me explain. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. Listen to this. For even if there are so-called gods, small g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, small g, and many lords, small l, yet for us there is but one God, capital G, the Father, from whom all things come from and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Look at the way that it's worded. God, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And Jesus, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So it's not as if like Jesus is like doing his own thing over there and he's the, the, the God of something else. And then God the Father is the God of something else. No, all things come from God and all things come from Jesus, though they are distinct beings. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. And again, I, I, I understand and know that sometimes, you know, you hear these things and you're like, man, this is, this still feels a little confusing. But what you have to know and be sure about is that there is absolute unity. There is absolute unity. Three beings that agree. Three that agree. First John chapter five. First John chapter five and verse six. But let's go to verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. By the way, I threw, I wanted to, to kind of add that verse. Because there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of religions that don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. That don't believe he's divine. They believe, oh, you know, yeah, Jesus did exist. And he was a good teacher. And he was a prophet. And he was this. And we can learn from him. But he wasn't the Son of God. Well, you've got a problem if you believe that. Because... The, John is saying here, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcomes the world. Only he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that would take away any argument in which Jesus would not be the Son of God. Verse 6, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar 
because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He, do, who, he who is, does not have the son of God does not have life. The word one, when it says that the three are in agreement, right? It means one in unity and in number. Meaning there is one God, there is one Lord Jesus Christ, and there is one Holy Spirit. They have divine individuality and divine purality. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 4. Ephesians 4 verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when, when you were called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So there is unity. There is one God, not multiple gods. There is one Jesus Christ, one Savior. And there is one Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. And they are one in unity and in agreement, though with divine individuality, because they have different functions, as we read earlier. Now, here are, uh, th these are a few, a few ways in scripture that we, we're seeing this distinction of beings. So though they are one in unity, they're one in accord. Um, let's put it this way. The, the Trinity, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you it this way. The Trinity is not a belief in three gods. Okay. One God exists as three persons and the trinity is not a contradiction because god is one in essence but three in person i know that there are some people who try to explain the trinity um <laughs> they try to explain the, the trinity like water well you know water comes in different forms ice um regular water uh, mist or whatever and, and they kind of try to explain it that way but there's no need to to try and like make I guess I could put it this way. Um, we have to look at it as a God existing in three distinct persons, not three forms of himself in the sense of like just the father doing different things. They have different functions and they have divine individuality, right? But they are one in agreement. The three that agree, they're not separate gods. They're not separate gods that do, that do different things apart from each other. They are one in unity and agreement. Each carries out the functions of God's plan. God the Father. Each one has a distinct responsibility in, in the divine plan of God. One, they are one, three that agree. One in unity. One in number. One God. One Son, Jesus Christ. One Holy Spirit. Turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit 
descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So this would, would, it's hard to have an argument that God is just, just manifests himself in different ways because this is one of the places where distinctly you see Jesus was there. He was in human form getting baptized. Then the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and descended on Jesus. And then there was a voice from heaven in which God the Father was speaking. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen to this, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He's not equal to the angels. He's not a created being like the angels. He's not equal to the devil because the devil is a created being. He is an angel. So they're not equal. The, the devil is not, is not the evil form of, of Jesus, you know, where you have like Jesus on one shoulder and the devil in a red suit on the other shoulder. That's how, that's a very terrible way of looking at it. Because when you look at it that way, you're looking at it as Jesus and the devil are like, they're equal in strength and now it's a wrestling match to see who wins. No, all, again, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And what do we know about Satan? He is under the feet of Jesus. The enemies are made of footstool. There's no wrestling match because if there was, the devil would get annihilated in about one second because he already got annihilated. That day when the, day, when the veil was torn in two and Jesus defeated all the power of the devil. And that was it for that. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And this is where we get, um, when we baptize people in water, why we say what we say. This is why we do it. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples. Actually, let me go to 18, because even better. When Jesus came to them and said, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, when you're talking about um, polytheistic religions in which there's multiple gods, they all want the authority. Nobody's, nobody's willing to, to share any kind of authority. Everybody, everybody wants to be in charge. Everyone wants power. Uh, you know, everyone's, this one's better than this one. And this one's better than this one. We only pray to this one. We only pray to that one. But Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why did Jesus put it that way? 
If God's the only one, why, why, why did he put it that? Why, why didn't he just say, uh, be baptized in the name of God? No, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why when we baptize people, we say we now baptize you in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we do that? Because Jesus told us to. And when Jesus tells us to do something, we should listen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I have so many scriptures that I, my bookmarks are falling out all over the place. It, it, can't keep, it can't keep up with all the scripture. But that's, I mean, that's the best way to do it. At least I believe that. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. Um, greet, uh, let's go to verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace, listen to this, listen to this, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand on it. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So again, there's these three functions, these three uh, um, distinctions about the Godhead. So let's get into that a little bit further. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You know, another translation says, the only begotten which means the only begotten son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only God, the son, the only begotten son, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing uh, that Paul said at the end of second Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's talking about that. Then he says the love of God. So where's the love of God? Turn to John three. John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So there is the love of God, the father. And then the last thing is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And where do we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Turn to Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, verse one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And I love the way how he says one in spirit and in purpose, because that the Godhead is the same. They are one in, in spirit and in purpose. They are one. They are united in one, though three distinct beings. There's no way around scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
are three separate and personal witnesses instead of being only one person or one witness. Now I know that, and I'm sure of it, that even after this study, even after going through all these scriptures, even after reading verse after verse after verse, explaining what they mean, that there will still be people, no, I, I don't know, I don't understand, I don't believe. I can only tell you this, that we must take time to diligently study the word of God and to understand it. If you feel that I left something out or you're not convinced, or, again, I encourage you. I encourage you to read the scripture. I encourage you to read it for yourself and study it for yourself. When I talked about the love of God, I read what is perhaps the hallmark scripture of all of Christianity. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that is something that is perhaps the most important. I feel that there's a lot of times where Christians debate each other. They'll debate, oh, I believe this, I believe that, you're wrong about this, I don't believe the Trinity like that, uh, I don't believe, you know, and they're just going on and on and on. Meanwhile, let's not forget what our main purpose is. Now I'm all for, hey, I just sat and did a study for 40 minutes here with you, talking about uh, going deep in the scripture to understand something. I am all for study, I'm all for teaching, I'm all for, for doing these kind of in-depth studies about different subjects. I love doing it. But let's not forget that at the end of the day, the most important thing is to see souls coming into the kingdom of God, to see people saved, through faith in Christ Jesus. So my answer to you, my friend, who's watching me right now, and you might not be 100% sure about the Bible, you might not be someone who's familiar with the Bible, but let me tell you something, there were people that came to Christ that never even read a scripture. All they knew and understood was that they needed a change in their life, that they weren't happy, satisfied with their life. Even if they think that they're happy with their life, they could tell that there was something that wasn't complete and that it could only be filled by being in right relationship with God. And the way that that comes is through salvation in Jesus Christ. When you get saved, the Bible says that the old life has passed away. Behold, all things become new. So now you're not who you used to be. You are now a new creature. You are now a new creation. Creation. Your old life has passed away. You can say, well, I did so many bad things. I don't think God could ever love me. Well, that's the best part. What did I just read in John 3, 17? That whoever stands before him is not condemned. Whoever believes is not condemned. Because now, once you're in Christ Jesus, once you repent of your sins, Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. So when you make a decision, you say, I'm going to repent of my sins. Guess what happens? God forgets them in the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. And the only person that's going to remember is if the devil tries to put things in your head. Hey, remember all those bad things you did? Now God, once you repent and come to Christ, God's like, that's washed away, washed clean in the blood of Jesus. So if you're watching me today and you, you're not saved, or you once were, and you've since turned away. Now is your opportunity. We don't know how much time we have left. We, we, the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, sitting at the right hand. I believe he's standing up, ready to go. Because we can see by the signs of the times, though we don't know the day and the hour, 
that Jesus will come back, we can see by the seasons and we can see very clearly that we're coming to the end of this life. So don't wait another moment. If you were to die today, if this was to be your last day on earth, do you know where you would go? Do you know where, where you would spend eternity? There is a heaven and there is a hell. And every single person will end up in one of those places. And I don't want you in hell. I want you in heaven with me, celebrating, rejoicing, and worshiping God for the rest of eternity because that's where we're meant to be. Hell was not created for people. It was created for the devil and his demons. And God doesn't send anybody there. They willingly choose to go. But now you have your, you have your moment in time to say, I'm going to make a different decision and I'm going to choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. So pray this prayer with me. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So pray this. That's why we speak it out loud out of our mouth. And I pray this prayer just to help you because there are many people who have never prayed, don't even know what a prayer is. And so this is just a way to help you. Repeat after me. Say, Father, I give you my life. Forgive me of all my sins. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and my Savior. I choose to follow you and not turn back. Thank you that I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. Please message me and let me know that you prayed that prayer and I want to get a Bible to you because I want you getting started on, on your Christian walk going the right way. Amen?